One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. Spring is a great time of year to do some cleaning around the house and clean up your finances. And something else that you can do for your family this spring is shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius as part of your financial planning for the year. Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses, things like mortgage payments, credit card payments, car loans, or even college costs. I have a wife and two kids, with a third on the way, by the way, and business partners that all depend depend on my income. So I needed life insurance and Policy Genius made that so incredibly easy. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to answer the question, should you take money out of your 401k to pay down credit card debt? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of MasterMoney.co. And today on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to be answering a bunch of your personal finance questions. If you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram or TikTok at MasterMoneyCo. And don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast too. And if you want to watch the show, you can watch it on YouTube now at the Personal Finance Podcast on YouTube. We are so incredibly excited to share this episode with you because we're going to be going through a bunch of your personal finance questions. And some of them are going to be how much of your income should you keep in checking versus savings? Should you take money out of your 401k to pay down credit card debt? Does it make sense? What's the math behind that? If you retire early, do you need to live off your taxable brokerage account? Or is there another way to do it before you actually hit your retirement age so you don't have to withdraw down your 401k? We're going to talk about how to set up your 401k so you can actually withdraw it down early. And then we're going to talk about how much money you should put into each budget category. And in addition, 
my favorite high yield savings accounts and advice to high school and college students who want to build generational wealth. We have an action packed episode on money Q&A today on the personal finance side. So we are so incredibly excited to share this with you. In addition, going forward, money Q&A, we're going to try to do it where we have the questions in categories. So we'll have one category for personal finance, one for investing, one for real estate, one for boring businesses, some for mindset. So all of these are going to be categorized together so that you can have an episode theme each and every time as we answer these questions. I love answering these questions for you guys. I'm so incredibly excited to jump into it. So without further ado, we have a bunch of them to get to. So let's get into it. So the first one is how much of my income should I keep in checking versus savings? Now, this is a very personal question, and this is a question that's going to be very different for each person. But I am going to explain what these accounts are for so that you understand that a lot of money should be funneled through and around and moving through these accounts in certain ways so that you can optimize your wealth building ability. So first of all, let's get into the checking account. So the checking account should be optimized in one way. And all the checking account is for is to funnel cash exactly where you want your dollars to go. So checking accounts are just receiving cash and moving cash around to the most optimal places. What do I mean by that? So say each and every single time you get paid, the first thing that you want to be doing when you get paid is you want to to be putting your money towards the things that you value most. So what do you value most? For most people, investments are a major thing because they want to put dollars towards their future value. So say, for example, your savings rate or the amount that you want to put towards investments is about 20% of your income and you make something like $5,000 when you get paid. So say you get paid $5,000. I'm just doing this for easy math. Then you're going to put $1,000 towards your investment account. And say, for example, maybe you want to put some more money towards your emergency fund or your short-term savings goals, then you would do that then. But all a checking account is for, it's not to hoard cash into a checking account because you can get much better interest rates other places. What you want to do with your checking account is just utilize it to shuffle money around. It goes towards maybe your bills that you automate. It goes towards your credit card where I put as many bills as possible on my credit card so I can travel hack my way around the world with credit card points. In addition, it can go towards putting your dollars towards any other thing that you have, any expense that you have along the way. That's what your checking account's for. It's not to save money in. It's not a place that you want to keep a bunch of cash in unless you really just don't care or you feel more comfortable having a checking account. But I don't know why when there's different accounts out there that just have higher interest rates. So your checking account is the funnel. It's the funnel that takes your cash and you distribute it to the place that you want to go. In addition, then you have your savings account. Now, I am not huge on keeping a bunch of savings in my savings account at like a big bank, for example. I personally bank at Chase. I'm not pro Chase. I'm not a huge advocate of Chase or anything like that. It's just the easiest bank to get to from my house. There's literally one in my neighborhood. So that's why I bank there. It's just easy. Um, So for checking accounts and first level savings accounts, I just like it in places that are easy to get to. Now, when it comes to your actual savings, your savings goals should be for very specific things. So most of your money should go towards investments unless you're building up your emergency fund. The majority of your money should go to investments. Then your savings should be in a high yield savings account. What a high yield savings account is, it's a savings account with much higher interest rates. So your money's gonna make more money in a high yield savings account. And one of the questions that we have later is which ones do I love? So I'm just gonna break those down. Now, three of my favorites are CIT Bank. I love CIT Bank just because they have been a longtime partner with me, so I've used them for a very long time. And CIT Bank is just a fantastic place with great rates. It's an online bank. 
Another one I love is Ally Bank. And Ally I've been using as of late because what Ally Bank has is something called buckets. And this bucket strategy is something where as you have these buckets within your savings account, you can actually budget inside one account. So you can actually budget your money inside one specific account. And each of these budget categories are called buckets. So say, for example, you have 20 grand in an emergency fund and you want to split that up maybe in three different categories. Maybe you want it for housing. If anything happens to your house, you want to split it up for car repairs in case you want to fix up your car. And in addition, you want to make a third category just for any other rainy day emergencies. Well, you can do that in Ally and you can say put 7,000 in the rainy day fund. You could put 7,000 in the car repair fund and 6,000 in the home repair fund. That you can absolutely do. And the cool thing about this is it just gives you those buckets so that you can separate out your money without having to open a bunch of sinking funds or a bunch of different savings accounts. The third one I love is Capital One. Now, Capital One used to have a similar system to buckets, in which I used to really love it then, but it's still got great rates. It's a large bank and something you would know, like, and trust. So between those three, those are my favorite high-yield savings accounts. How much should you put in your savings account? That is a question that depends on what you're doing. So emergency funds should always be in a savings account. You don't wanna be investing your emergency funds. They should be inside of a savings account always. The reason for this is because if there's a recession and say the market takes a pullback of 50%, you do not wanna have your emergency fund cut in half when you need it most, which is recessions where people are most likely to be laid off. Your emergency fund is there to utilize job loss and all these other things. In addition, you want to put your short-term savings goals, any savings goals that you have for five years or less, you want to have those inside of a savings account. Why? Because when you have those inside of a savings account, same reason. When the recession happens or the market takes a pullback and you need those dollars most, maybe you want a down payment on a mortgage, for example. And when the housing crisis happens and prices of houses are really cheap, you want to have that down payment available. Or maybe you're saving up for a wedding. Well, the last thing you want is a financial crisis and you invested your wedding dollars and now your wedding gets cut in half because you don't have those dollars available. Or maybe you're saving up for a car or whatever else it is. Short-term savings goals, always need to be in a savings account. Is it optimal? No. Are they going to lose value because of inflation? Yes, but it also keeps that money safe. And the other thing you want to put inside of your savings account is that cash buffer if you have a cash buffer. But this is very similar to an emergency fund where if you want a short-term cash buffer, what I do is the bank that I bank at Chase, um, I have a very small cash buffer there that I keep just in case an emergency happens and I need to get the cash really quick. I have my checking, I have the cash buffer in that savings account and the majority of my savings, emergency fund, short-term savings goals all go into high yield savings account so you can collect that interest. And as interest rates rise, high yield savings account interest rises as well. So that is one thing that I would definitely look at. That is the way to actually distribute from your checking to your savings account and how much money you should put in there and think through that process. All right, so the next one is should I take out money from my 401k in order to pay down credit card debt. Now, this is a very difficult question to actually try to navigate because your real life situation is going to matter a lot in this. So I'm going to talk pretty generally here, but we did a little bit of math to show you what would happen if you actually pull down money and what the real impact of your dollars are. So it depends on the interest rate of your credit card first and foremost. So the interest rate of your credit card, if you have like a 50% interest rate, which is I've never heard of, but if you do have like some crazy interest rate like that, then maybe it would be worth it. But outside of that, what you don't want to do is interrupt compound interest unnecessarily. That is the last thing that you want to do. It's one of my favorite lines to say because 
interrupting compound interest unnecessarily is only going to make you go backwards and it's really going to kill the power of compound interest. You want to stay invested for a very long period of time, as we've talked about a number of times on this podcast and on Master Money, the YouTube channel, all the other places that we love to produce content. The reason for this is that if you start to interrupt compound interest unnecessarily, your returns are going to significantly reduce over a long period of time. So consistent investing, staying investing forever is the thing that you definitely want to do. Now, here's what happens if you pull it from a 401k specifically. Now, if it was a Roth IRA, it's a very different math equation because a Roth IRA, your contributions that you put into a Roth IRA, you can pull those out penalty-free and they've already been taxed, so it's tax-free as well. Those are dollars that you contributed and you already pay tax on those dollars and the money grows tax-free, but any contribution, even before the age of 59 and a half in a Roth IRA, you could pull out early. A 401k is absolutely a whole different story because you're contributing dollars that have not been taxed yet. That's the key thing to understand here. So because of that, if you withdraw any money out of your 401k, you're gonna face a taxation, and B, you're going to face a 10% penalty. That 10% penalty is massive when it comes to the equation because it's a lot of money depending on how much money you have in credit card debt. Now, if you have a massive amount of credit card debt that you don't know if you can climb out of, and you're thinking, this is the only way out, this is the only way I can do this, we'll talk about a couple of other ways that I would consider first, but if that's the only thing that you can do, then maybe you want to consider it. But let's look at some of the math here. So I just did a hypothetical on $10,000. And Conrad, who is our YouTube editor, if you could throw this on the screen on the YouTube channel while we're talking about this, that would be great. So by hypothetically withdrawing $10,000 from your retirement account, you may forego a very large amount of money. Let me break this down. So the first thing is the impact of your early withdrawal. The impact of your early withdrawal is going to be this. So say you take $10,000 out, we're gonna first take that early withdrawal penalty, which we just talked about was 10%. So that's $1,000 that you're immediately going to lose just by withdrawing that $10,000. Next, you have to pay taxes on that money. So if you're in like a standard tax bracket, say you're in the 24% tax bracket, then you're gonna pay $2,000 $400 on that. If you're in the 20% tax bracket, you're going to pay 2000 but I'm just going to do a standard 24% to make it easy. Say you're in a 15% tax bracket, you're going to pay $1,500. It's very simple math. That's why I'm using $10,000 because we could do it off the top of the dome, baby. Um, so this is the way that you can actually look at this and make it really simple. So after you pull your money out, say you wanted 10 grand to pay off a credit card, for example, if you pull 10 grand out, the net that you're gonna have out of the amount of money that you're actually gonna be pulling out after taxes and fees is gonna be $6,600 if you're in the 24% tax bracket. So that's not the end of this equation because you know your boy loves himself a little bit of opportunity cost. So opportunity cost is what would happen if you actually invested those dollars instead? So I just put it at a simple, modest 8% rate of return. And with that 8% rate of return, if you withdraw that money, the loss of asset growth by the time you retire, so age 59 and a half is when we were in this for, would be an additional $53,000, that initial $10,000 would grow. So you're losing out on $53,000 in addition to losing out on taxes and the other money that you would have had if you would have just left that money invested. This is a massive difference where your potential that you're losing out here is something like $63,000 over the lifespan of just taking this money out, just 10 grand. So it's over 600% that you're losing out on just by taking this 10 grand. So this is something where you really gotta consider this. Now, online, I actually found 
some great calculators out there that will run some of these numbers for you. And it was after I did all this math, but it, they'll actually run these numbers for you so that if you are looking to figure this out very quickly, you can figure it out for your own situation. So I'll link a couple of those down below because they're really cool how they actually do that so that you can figure out how much you would actually be losing based on the amount that you want to pull out. Now, what would I do instead? Instead, I would try to earn some more money to pay down that credit card debt. I would try to earn more at my job. I would try to start some side hustles and do some other things so that I can get rid of this debt instead of incurring a $63,000 loss per $10,000. That is one thing I would look at. In addition, learning how to maybe set up a budget and see if you are overspending in any areas. Now, obviously, in a lot of situations, it's harder to save more, especially now when it costs hundreds of dollars more just to live than it did last year. So sometimes this is difficult, but if you can pull out a budget and say, can you save two, three, $400 here and there so that you can start paying down that debt, that is another option that I would definitely consider just so you can get that debt down. It's for a short period of time. And in addition, make sure you check out our course coming out called Get Out of Debt Fast. It's absolutely free. I'm not gonna charge for getting out of a debt course. Uh, I wanna make sure that you guys check that out as well so that you can go through this process and maybe set up your debt payoff plan. Um, that is one major thing that um, we'll set up for you as well on this. So all of these things are gonna come into play. Listen, you gotta stick with it. I know this is tough. I know it can be difficult to be paying down some of these debts, but I would not pull from my 401k unless you absolutely need to because you think there is no way out. So run some of these numbers, do the math. The math is what is going to matter in these situations so that you can make the best decision for your specific situation. Now is a great time of year to get your finances in order. And no matter what your financial goals are this year, when you use Chime's online checking account, you can cross all those financial to-dos off your list. Chime's online checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-fee overdraft up to $200. Plus, get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go 24-7. And you get access to over 60,000 ATMs. So start building your credit and open a Chime checking account with at least $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com PFP. That's Chime.com PFP. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank, NA, or Stride Bank, NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed, because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to Indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
One of the hardest things about managing your money is figuring out where it's all going. And most of us are trying to save for several goals at once, which can feel like a daunting task to see if you're on track or even on pace to accomplishing your goals. But there is a tool that makes it so much easier and it's called Monarch Money. They help you track your money flow without taking a ton of time and energy. And Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. And you can invite them with an extra account with their own login at no extra cost to collaborate with you. And Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can create custom budgets, set notifications, and you can set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications. And after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. That's M-O-N- A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash P-F-P for your extended 30-day free trial. The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers, and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. The next one, and I absolutely love this question. So if I retire early, do I need to live off my taxable account until I'm old enough to withdraw my contributions? So financial independence is something that this is a big problem that a lot of people face when they first learn about financial independence. Now, if you don't know what the FIRE movement is, what that means is that you save a bunch of money and you're able to retire early because you saved up that money, you can live off that money. But if you put it in retirement accounts, like we talk about all the time, the 401k, for example, you just heard the penalties that you can incur and all those other things. But there is something that is an absolute beautiful little loophole that we have, and it's called the Roth conversion ladder. So the way that this works is that what you're going to do is you're going to actually contribute 401k dollars to your Roth IRA. Five years you're going to start this before you're actually going to retire. The reason why there's five years that you're going to start this is because there's something called the five-year rule where you cannot withdraw funds that you have contributed or converted over for at least five years. So you wanna do it five years ahead of time before your financial independence journey begins because that's when you're gonna be able to actually access those funds. So I'm gonna actually illustrate this as well. If we could throw this up on the screen as well, that'd be awesome. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on a podcast, then absolutely check this out later on. But this is what a Roth conversion ladder can look like. I'm going to describe it here as well. So let's say, for example, you are in the year 2020 and you want to retire in 2025. So you want to retire in the next five years because you've been saving. You see the target there. If you get that 8% rate of return, then you're going to be able to retire at 2024. And you want to give yourself a one-year cushion, for example. So having that one-year cushion is major when you're doing your retirement planning. But 
let's say, for example, you want to retire in 2025 early. So you're going to retire early before age 59 and a half, because if you pull that money at 59 and a half, you are going to get that penalty and you do not want to face that 10% penalty as we just saw doing the math earlier. So let's say, for example, you want to live on $50,000 a year to make the math easy, and then you're going to increase it a few percentage points based on the inflation rate. So what we're going to do is going to show you how much you're going to convert from a 401k to a Roth IRA. And you could do this in your brokerage. So say, for example, you don't have a Roth IRA yet. I would just open at the same brokerage because it's very easy to do that. So say if your company's 401k is at Vanguard or you're going to roll the money over to Vanguard, then I would just keep my Roth IRA at Vanguard as well because it's very easy to convert back and forth. So say, for example, in 2020, you convert $50,000. So you can't access that money till 2025. So that's why you want to do it now so that when you retire in 2025, you'll be able to touch that money, be able to access it penalty-free because remember, our contributions to a Roth IRA are penalty-free. So you're going to convert money over and the net amount that you want is $50,000. You will pay taxes when you convert that money over because it's going from a 401k that was not taxed to a Roth IRA that has already been taxed. So you've got to pay taxes in between. So you're going to do the math in between to figure out what it is, but I'm just doing this for simplicity. So say you convert $50,000 over, and then in year two, because of inflation, you convert net $52,500 over in 2021. Then in 2022, you convert $55,125. So you can access that later on. Then in 2023, 57881 and 2024, $60,000. So these are only raising because of inflation rates. You want to just raise it a little bit because of the inflation rate over time. Then in 2025, you're going to contribute $63,814. And in 2025, you can now withdraw $50,000 from your Roth IRA. You can actually withdraw more if you started to contribute to a Roth a lot long time ago. But if you don't have a Roth, um, you can contribute $50,000 because you put that in in 2020. And then in year two, you contribute $67,000 and you can withdraw $52,000 because in 2021, you put $52,500. And so in 2026, you can live on $52,500. This is just an illustration of exactly how this works so that over time with this Roth conversion ladder, you are going to be able to live on the money, but you got to focus on that five-year rule and make sure you understand how that five-year rule works so that you can optimize this and do this in a safe manner so you can live off that money. Now, like I said, every contribution that you put in a Roth, you can withdraw penalty-free anytime. So if you have a Roth for the last 20 years, for example, and you've been putting in five, six, seven thousand, whatever the limit was in those years that you were putting the money in, then you'd be able to withdraw those contributions as well the first couple of years. So say you got two years before you want to retire. Well, some of those contributions can be withdrawn so that you can live off those for those two years. And then the next couple of years, you want to make sure that you are converting over so that you can have that five-year rule into place. Now, the reason why you'd want to do this in a ladder format is because of taxes. So if your tax rate is pretty high when you're about to retire, and a lot of people who are pursuing financial independence, their tax rate goes up over time, their income goes up. And so uh, you just want to do it in piece by piece so that you're not paying crazy amount of taxes on that as well. So that is how that works. We have a full episode on this as well if you want to hear it where we deep dive into the Roth conversion ladder, but that is a quick overview, and that is the way I love for people to look at it, and that's the power of the Roth IRA as well, why you always want to have a Roth, even if you're getting close to those limits, because having that Roth open is something that's going to help you when you reach financial independence. 
So the next one, how much should you put in each budget category? So this is one that is going to be very specific to your current situation. So I can't tell you exactly how much to put in each budget category. What I can tell you is we've had episodes on how much to put in your savings account by age, all those types of things. So you can follow some of the rules of thumbs that we talk about. There's a couple of different budgets you can think through. There's the 50, 30, 20 rule, which is a way where you can actually put money in different categories and understand how to set up your budget that way. But the way I like to do it more is to think through each kind of sector of a category and look at this in a way that is going to fit and mold to your lifestyle. So some rules of thumb, 30% or less of your net income needs to be going towards housing. The less, the better, but 30% or less of your net income needs to go towards housing. More than that, and you are going to be house poor. Another rule of thumb to think about is 20% or less needs to be going towards transportation. So transportation is a major cost, obviously, and that's one thing where you want to make sure you keep that as low as possible. 15 to 20% towards food is another big one and making sure you keep your grocery budget under control, especially if you're just starting out. Groceries can get really out of hand and a lot of people are so shocked when they look at their budget and their grocery bills are usually sky high. So that's one thing where a lot of people overspend. So looking at that one is a key one as well. And that's groceries in addition to eating out, that kind of stuff. And then um, 10 to 15% for fund money. So making sure you still allocate dollars towards fund money is another thought process to go through. And then making sure you just have all of these lined up and then addition the rest having money in place for your bills and all those other things as well. So this is something where you definitely want to kind of create ground rules around and then you figure out what you value. What do you value most in life? That's the first question to ask yourself because what you value is what you want your dollars to be going towards. So if you value something and it is something that you really truly believe that you need to be spending your dollars on because it brings you joy, then you need to figure out that first and then build your budget around that. If you value travel significantly, then learning how to travel hack in addition to saving a lot of money towards travel is something you definitely want to do because you want your dollars to do what you want them to do. That is the most powerful thing that you can do with your money is ensure that your dollars are going exactly where you want them to go. So this is another thing to think through as you set up these categories. But for each person, it's going to be very different. So decide what your values are first, then allocate your dollars towards those categories, and then build your budget and your lifestyle around that. That is the best way to look at this, but also ensuring that at least 20% of your income is going towards investments. That's the last piece that we want to talk about here, and the first thing you should be doing, but making sure that your dollars are going towards investments, and what I mean by that is income-producing activities, so things like your emergency fund, your investment account, or any other thing that is going to help you raise your net worth. So that is what that means as well. But 20% or more is the key here so that you can actually build wealth. So the last one is what advice to high school and college students would you have who want to create generational wealth? So this is one that we are passionate about as well, because the sooner you learn this stuff, the better off you're going to be with your money because you can start get your money working for you. And that is what we are really passionate about is making sure that people can get as much money as possible as early as possible working for them. So the first thing I would say is learn about financial independence in the FIRE movement, because this is something that is not taught, which really should be taught as early as possible. So One great book for this is First to a Million by Dan Sheeks, and Dan was on this podcast, but this is a financial independence book for teenagers. Uh, It is one book that is really going to be life-changing, I think, for a lot of people who read it. So 
that is a fantastic book, but learning how the financial independence movement works and learning that you can save up a certain amount of money, live off that money forever, and then you can do other things that you want to do, maybe build businesses, or you want to spend time with your family or travel or whatever else you want to do. That book kind of helps you walk through that process to learn how all the basics work. And obviously, this podcast is going to teach you that as well. That's our main goal is to teach you how to build wealth. So listening to this is going to be helpful on the FIRE movement side as well. The next thing you want to do is learn how to invest right now. Every dollar you can invest right now is going to be so much more valuable than say somebody in their 30s or 40s who are investing your dollars. In fact, people even in their early 20s, every single dollar they invest is worth well over $80 every dollar that they put towards their investment. So you want to make sure that you're investing as early as you possibly can. Now, Learning how to invest is one thing and making sure, and this is very hard when you're young. I even did it where I would invest in like penny stocks and things like that. That was the craze back then. But learning how to invest in assets and not speculative investments. So speculative investments would be things like gold, crypto, things that don't have an intrinsic value or a value backed by finances. And there's things out there. There's a lot of things out there that are like that. You can put a small amount of your portfolio in stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But making sure your real dollars, your real investment money is going towards things that actually will grow over time. That is the first thing that you definitely want to be doing when learning how to invest. In addition, you can do this with real estate investing as well. So real estate investing is a fantastic thing that you could be doing where you build up your skills now, maybe even work part-time for a realtor or some real estate company or a builder. So you can start to get your feet wet and learn how the real estate business actually works. That'd be something amazing for you. So Another thing I would consider is getting a job in a field that you're interested in. So getting an internship or a job instead of going out and doing what everybody else does, which is, you know, driving for Uber or DoorDash or going out and working for a restaurant or the local supermarket down the street, get a job in an industry you're interested in. So the same thing would go for that real estate agent working for a real estate agent if For example, you wanted to go out and become a rental property investor or you wanted to learn more about real estate. Or if you want to get in tech, maybe you reach out to a company and see that they have internships available. But you want to make sure that you're building up the right skills early and often so that before you go to the real world, you can actually be able to have these skills available to you and actually see how some companies actually operate. The earlier you learn this stuff, the more valuable you're going to be later on and you can earn more money just by learning that stuff early on. So I absolutely love the idea of doing that as well. That is a great place for a lot of people to start and I wish I did the same thing. Then you want to build up some skills that are going to help you earn more. So building skills is the way to earn more money. And we talked to Nathan Barry on this podcast. And what we talked about there was how you can build up skills in a systematic way and the framework around that. So building up your skills early, the earlier you do this, the further along you can get later on. So skills that make a lot of money are coding, copywriting, things like video editing. There's a bunch of different things that you can do, but looking at the skills of what you want to pursue in life. And if you don't know, just learn skills that make money. You can look up a bunch of different lists. We have videos on YouTube talking about the skills that earn the most money right now, but looking up some of those skills and saying, which ones of these am I actually interested in and which ones would I like to learn so that I can have those skills available to me when I hit the real world. So that's another option. And then lastly, learning how to manage your money. I've told the story before about how I didn't know how to manage my money very early on in my career. And it really bit me for the first couple of weeks where I couldn't even fill up my gas tank at one point. And that's the turning point that made me turn it all around. But learning how to manage my money is the thing that really turned the whole thing around and getting that budget together and all those other things. So those are the core principles that I would look at first so that you can start building that generational wealth, building that foundation, because that foundation is what is going to really help you going forward and having those skills in place because your income, remember, 
the income side of the equation is the most important thing. And then learning how to keep that income is what's going to change your life and change your wealth trajectory. I hope this helps. And this is one of my favorite subjects as well, because I just think it's going to absolutely change the way you think about money. Listen, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Money Q&A. If you guys have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at Master Money Co. And in addition, don't forget to sign up for that Master Money newsletter and be looking out for Index Fund Pro. We are so excited to be releasing all this stuff for you guys and so excited for you guys to start building wealth. And we will see you on the next episode. Everyone's heard the saying, you have to spend money to make money. But everything in life, from travel to starting a business, is expensive, which is why I want to tell you about a new podcast I love that will teach you all the tactics, tricks, and tips you need to upgrade your life, money, and even travel, all while spending less and saving more. It's called All the Hacks, and it's a top-ranked show hosted by my good friend Chris Hutchins, a financial optimizer, an entrepreneur who's racked up millions of points, and he sold two companies. And if you want to rethink the way you're spending money, you have to check out the episode 91 with Bill Perkins and why you should be optimizing for net fulfillment and not net worth and striving to die with zero. All the Hacks has something for everyone, and I'm sure you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life, whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a routine change that boosts your productivity. So check out All the Hacks. That's All the Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.